Welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode 14 of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every so often we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark, and with me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how you doing today? I'm sleepy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I have... We're going to get into our five stars in just a minute, but I have a weird thing I want to share with you okay. before we do. And that is, so this time of year, like a lot of families, my family and I tend to watch Christmas movies in the evening. Okay. We're on the other side of Thanksgiving. We've started, you know, once every couple of nights, we'll throw on a Christmas movie to watch together. Okay. And like when you get down to the last week or so, you hit all the keys. You know, right. you hit your It's a Wonderful Life and your Muppet Christmas Carols and the one I know we share Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Right. You know, you hit all the classics. But in the early part of the month, it's just higgledy piggledy. It's whatever you can find, whatever. We kind of mix it up to see what we can stumble across, right? Mm-hmm. So we ended up watching a movie on Amazon Prime. Okay. From, I believe, 2014. Okay. Might have been 2016, actually, called The Christmas Dragon. All right. It is a live action movie set in, like, vaguely medieval times, you know, like you do. Right, yes. About a group of orphans who has to find Santa Claus to save Christmas. Okay. And they do so with the help of, as you might suspect, a dragon. Okay. I mean, I could have suspected the ad to fight dragons. <laughs> that also happened. Oh, This okay. dragon, as it turns out, is the child of the dragon that made the main character an orphan by killing her parents. Oh, that's dark. Some drama in there. Yeah, the movie opens with the parents getting burned up by a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Okay. That happens on screen. <laughs> oh, that's... That's suitably horrifying <laughs> and the effects are hmm they would have been considered like cutting edge visuals for maybe the late 90s it's not a good look no but it's very limited the dragon is on screen for generously five minutes of a 90 minute movie okay they use their budget sparingly but here's what I wanted to talk about with the they Christmas They couldn't even dragon. Uh, spliced in some clips from that Sean Connery movie? <laughs> nope. Okay. It is a movie that feels like, graphics aside, it feels like it was made in the late 80s or early 90s. By which I mean it is just like a, I'll use air quotes, family-friendly kids movie mm -hmm. about like... A group of ragtag kids who very clearly are just, like, running around in the forest in somebody's backyard, like, having adventures. Right. And that is a specific genre of movie that I don't know exists very much anymore. Although there is some good stuff like Stranger Things that kind of lives in that space now. Right, which is actively children out in the woods fighting monsters, yes. Right, yeah. So it's kind of like there was a whole kind of era probably kicked off by like Goonies and living in the same space as E.T. that was just sort of like kids getting up to adventure. Right. Basically the latchkey generation of can we yes. find a reason for adults to just not watch their children at all? <laughs> 100%. And that's what this movie is. 
And it was fun for what it was. Like, it was pretty well put together. It was entertaining. It was very low budget. It was just so weirdly jarring because it was made like a handful of years ago and felt very specifically like a lost movie from my childhood. Well, congratulations, because right now we're in the era of making a lot of lost movies from our particular childhood. <laughs> That's true. That is true. We're this also, one's not a revival of anything. It's just a weird thing. We're also writing sequels to books about basically our childhood, if you could just list it off of all the important <laughs> things and then pretend that that is a work of art in some way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, boy. So... We are not, in fact, today here to talk about the Christmas dragon, but we are here to talk about episode 14 of Spider-Man, Dedicate the Song of the Powerless Brave to My Father. I do not understand this title. I don't... Nope. I I don't understand it. I don't know... I don't know if there's a theme that I'm misunderstanding. (laughs) I don't know if this is a very literal translation of something that I would need cultural context for. I do know that when they drop the title, it, it seems like it's supposed to drop in a space where it would complete the back half of a thought that Spider-Man is having. (laughs) And it absolutely does not do that. No, the alternate translation, because this is a fan sub, right, of course, yes. and the alternate translation listed in the fan wiki is giving father fight to the song of the hero, which also is a fine, like, weird title, right. but it makes no sense relative to the episode. Yes. Yeah. I, I There are, like, there's brief moments of, you know, thinking of Takoya's father, but there are no sure. moments where any songs... Are happening yeah, there's no song at all. <laughs> so we are going to get into that. But Brian, before we do, Shining in the Heavens, there are five stars. Before we get to those five stars, I do have a Christmas movie question. Oh, OK. I'm here for it. Should I watch Noel again? Yes. OK. Already done. Holds up super well. OK, because it's we not watched like... it in like our Christmas in July. And then we watched it again after Thanksgiving. OK, it's. Okay, because, like, on the one hand, it's not a great movie, but on the other hand, Anna Kendrick is extra charming. She is, and the movie's full of a lot of charming people. Like, it's just cast very, very well. Okay. And Anna Kendrick's great, and, like, it's very fun for what I think it is, which is to say, like, an ABC family movie of the week. Okay. And I know those things don't exist anymore, but they sort of do now in the, like, direct-to-Netflix, direct-to-Amazon. Like, there is a lot of big-budget stuff there, but there's also weird little things like Noel. Okay. All right. right. So, our five stars this week, as is our want, we're not doing anything timely or topical. We're just listing off five things in a related group. I think we did similar Either last year or the year prior, around this time of year. Right. We may have go done back to this check. exact list. Yeah. And I, I think we may have, but I didn't go back to check because I thought it would be very fun to do it again. And then after we do it, do a compare and contrast. Right. For Presuming us, I'm not going to force the audience to listen list. to that. Yeah. <laughs> Presuming that we actually did this list before. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We may not. This may all be a fever dream. Brian and I record 
a couple of podcasts together, so who knows? This may have showed up on the other one. I don't know. Not a clue. But what we thought it'd be fun to do, since we're stuck between Thanksgiving and Christmas as we record, is to do a top five of our favorite holiday foods. Yes. And holidays, we're including Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Basically, the the fall-winter spread of holidays. Right. The sort keep, of winter triumvirate. Yeah, keep your 4th of July picnics out of this discussion. <laughs> And Brian and I both grew up in the sort of American Judeo-Christian tradition, so we hit those are our big holidays. We know there are other ones that fall in that window. We're probably not going to have any food from those because we don't have a tremendous amount of experience with them. But if you're a listener and want to share your favorites, you can always hit the program up on Twitter. Or email, we'll talk about where to find us at the end of the show. (laughs) Yes. So I think we did similar. It might have been Christmas-specific last year. I don't know. But this list now is just our chance to sort of reflect this year on what the key points are. And I'll tell you, I know we talk about food a lot on this program when we do it. But this year, this year has been, for many reasons, a very hard year. And I just, I spend a lot of time thinking about food this year. (laughs) Food is the thing that gets me through a lot this year. Look, I know that, you know, I frequently say food will never betray you, um, and that that is demonstrably not true because sure. I have the Wolf of Brimley. But uh, <laughs> but look, food food always makes me feel good. <laughs> so if food talk is not your thing, go ahead and skip about ten minutes. We'll see you for the episode review. But Brian and I are going to take a few minutes here to talk about our highlights. Starting at number five and working the way up, I'll start with number five, and I'm putting it at number five because it's pretty pedestrian, but it's a real key for me, and that's just a good baked ham. And I know ham is often, for some reason, more frequently associated with Easter, and that's fair, but I love a baked ham. I'll take it over a turkey. I realize it's sort of heretical. I mean, it is, and uh, you're excommunicated from the rest of the segment. (laughs) Oh, no, I've excommunicated from the holiday (laughs) feast. Yes. Also, and I'm not even a big gravy fan, but ham makes a way better gravy. A ham gravy is fantastic. I'm not sure I've ever had (laughs) ham gravy. This segment is not turning out as wonderful as I would hope. (laughs) I can hear your palpable disappointment with my fifth star. So let's jump over to you, Brad. What is your fifth star? it, It shouldn't be... As disappointing, you could have told me that that was your first star, and then <laughs> I just... It's just sort of like, it's the main anchor for most of our holiday meals, and I do look forward to it. So it's on here, but it's number five, because most of the things above it are way more exciting. Uh, I mean, I also have a fairly pedestrian choice at number five, which is just bread and rolls, whether they're store-bought or homemade, Ooh, yep. or just just vehicles for warm butter it's <laughs> no that's a good choice i thought about uh, putting that on mine and didn't i'm glad yeah. you did it's uh it's the one thing that is usually the piece of food that you're allowed to have that isn't like a piece of turkey that you've picked up before grace has said right because right. you know there's <laughs> there's that window of bits of food that you're allowed to sneak before the meal starts <laughs> yes and yes. bread is ten to be among them so yeah those rolls are also real critical for a good like second round sandwich yeah 
Should we move on, Brian, to star number four? Probably, yes. All right. This is maybe, like, I don't think this one is unique, but it is specific to my family for reasons I'll get into. And that's homemade noodles in homemade gravy. And I'm calling it gravy, but it's much more of like a, you know, like a thick white sauce, a noodle sauce. And I think a lot of people do this. There's a million, but what I think makes it fun is there are a million variations on homemade noodles. And the ones we have are, it's like the one thing that my dad does for any of our holiday meals. Mm -hmm. It's been his role since literally I can remember. Mm -hmm. And they're just, you know, they're just thick homemade noodles. But they're such a good, it's all carbs, like everything on this list. (laughs) There's so many carbs. Oh, yeah. They're good. I don't even know that they're necessarily my favorite meal, but they're just such an integral integral part of my family's Christmas dinner that they are the thing almost that if you took them away, it would feel like something was like you could get away without a lot of these things if all of the rest of them were present. It is weird to have a Christmas meal without this one. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense as a concept. I would never actually think of Christmas noodles or holiday noodles. <laughs> what is what is your fourth? I, I feel like if we did this segment before, it was very different. <laughs> At least on on your side. I feel like unless last time I just responded with the same kind of trepidation and bewilderment to the first couple of choices here. But the uh my fourth is Two types of Jello salad. Uh, there's this, one I I only know because I'm familiar with your family. Right. And I'm excited for your explanation. This is the weird one for me. Like my I'm I get it because I've seen it. Right. But when you first told me about it, I was like, "What Jello? Why is Jello a thing?" So there are two types. Um, one we refer to as Jello salad, and one we refer to as ice cream salad. Both are <laughs> Jello based, but the ice cream salad is also uh, ice cream and fruit in like a red jello, probably okay. cherry or strawberry. Um, and that, you know, mix that together with ice cream and then that sets. And the other is lime green with marshmallows and dream whip. Okay. And okay. Both of those jello salads are made for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Every year, I think uh, sometimes they're also at Easter as well. I th- I think they didn't start out at being at Easter, but they now just they they always show up. Occasionally, there's an orange Jello salad that I haven't quite figured out what the <laughs> rules for it appearing are. But uh, yeah, every every year that's that's some of the some of the sweet things to go with everything else. Jello salad is such a weird holdover from a very specific sort of war era of American history. It is. And I'm not on board with most of it, but when it's like dessert oriented, I'm there. Well, that's why when uh, they did the ration project and they were talking about savory Jello salads, I was like, what? <laughs> what is that? And then <laughs> then when it was explained, oh, yeah, people used to make Jello by sticking like meat in there. And and Why? Why? Yeah, it's real weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Star number three. For me is baklava, which is a, a dessert that only made its entrance into our holiday tradition maybe five or six years ago, but has become an immediate staple. There was just a year, five or six years ago, that I decided I wanted to learn to make baklava. 
And so I did. And now it's around. Like, my family just loved it. It became real popular. And now it is just sort of my expected contribution to Thanksgiving and Christmas meals. Didn't you get this recipe on how to make it from, like, an old Greek woman who probably disappeared the following day? <laughs> yeah, so I've got a a cousin of mine who's a very dear friend. Who I, Brian, you've met a few occasions. My cousin Rochelle mm-hmm. is a very, very accomplished uh, cook and baker. And so I just messaged her and I was like, hey, I'd like to make baklava. Do you have any, like, where should I start? And she said, I have the perfect recipe an elderly Greek woman gave it to me, and it's amazing. So she works as an athletic trainer. It's just a lady she had done, like, a physical therapy with for, like, a week. Mm-hmm. And somehow got her baklava recipe, and I have it on, like, you know, a snapped picture of this lady's old, like, scrawly, 80-some-year-old woman handwriting on, like, a dirty and smudged index card. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's really, I mean, you've had it. It's a good baklava. Yeah, no, I love it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> what is your third star cranberry sauce and while i'm okay with like the cranberry sauce out of the can what i specifically mean is cranberry sauce that is actually like cranberries and sugar and cinnamon and like Mm -hmm. a mix so basically the actual cranberry cranberry sauce now granted i'll still eat the canned stuff um sure but i it's great i love it we do have very different lists because I'm real give or take on cranberry. Like, I'll eat it if it's there, oh. but I will not mind if I never have it again. Oh, no. I Getting cranberry sauce is, it's a, it's a treat. Cranberry sauce, I, I'll i say my mother and I are the only ones who eat it. <laughs> okay. Uh, which definitely means at some point, and that's, that's one of those things uh, where I think we're all in our late 30s. So it's approaching the point where we got to start writing down and figuring out some of these things that are currently not our responsibility. Right. Because someday. Someday it's going to be another our couple of decades down the road. Right. But yeah. <laughs> well, and I have a brother and a sister, but if I'm the only one who likes cranberry sauce, nobody else is going <laughs> to, you know, make cranberry sauce. So, yeah. All right. Star number two. This is another real traditional one Mm -hmm. as I weave back towards the mainstream. It is just a good garlic mash. Okay. I love mashed potatoes, and they are at peak form when they've got, like, a little bit of some minced garlic in there and, you know, some good, like, mash it up with good butter and heavy cream. I don't like a real, like, whipped or real light mashed potato. I want it to be a little heavy and a little chunky. But I'll take just about any of it, especially if it's garlic. I, f- I feel like the only thing on your list that I've been on board with is the baklava. <laughs> I feel like you and I have somehow very different holiday tables. <laughs> but if we merge them together, we will cover a lot of ground. Oh, yeah. No, it's it, it'd be a great table. I guess we're down to number two. What is your number two star? So this is what I call a dark horse candidate because I didn't even have any until uh, I I actually bought some store bought today because I saw it, realized I hadn't had it, and I was like, <gasps> Thanksgiving is retroactively ruined, uh, <laughs> and that is pumpkin roll, not pumpkin oh. pie, pumpkin roll, uh, which is you know it. I mean, it's it's the log basically filled with uh, pumpkin-y tasting bread is the wrong word, but 
like right, pumpkin yeah. tasting roll filled with cream cheese. Yeah, it's just like a pumpkin pastry. It's yeah, great. it is great, and I always forget that uh, I love it so. And honestly, out of all of the dessert things, it might be my actual favorite. Yeah, because all the others, like I can have a slice of pumpkin pie. Slice of pumpkin pie is great. Slice of apple pie, great. Throw some ice cream on there. Uh, a slice Any of number of pies. weird jello things with ice cream shoved in them. Yeah, yeah, those are all great. But I'll, you know, eat a slice or a bowl of that and, you know, that'll be good. I've had that with my meal. Pumpkin roll, on the other hand, I need to force myself to stop <laughs> eating. I had Because I will just keep slicing off pumpkin roll. <laughs> and like one slice of pumpkin roll doesn't seem substantial. And you just keep slicing until you've eaten half a yeah. pumpkin roll. Last week on this very program, Dave and Matt were going in on Libby's Pumpkin Company Mm -hmm. for having like a hundred recipes on their website that are basically like Dave's conjecture is that pumpkin is just there for making pumpkin pie. Like that's the purpose of Libby's canned pumpkin is to make pumpkin pie. Mm -hmm. And he's probably not wrong, but I had a good laugh about it because you and I, who are the sort of third and fourth chairs of this program are both big pumpkin guys and neither of us consider pumpkin pie the primary form. I thought of you and your love of pumpkin rolls and you know, I almost, instead of baklava, I almost had pumpkin cookies because my Mm. family does an incredibly good pumpkin cookie recipe. Yeah. So we both like non pumpkin pie things more than pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie is great. Pumpkin pie is great. It's just, it's, it's like a B plus of things to do with pumpkin. Agree. All right, we got to cap this off. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I've talked about it before, but my number one star with a bullet is raspberry pie. Always the key dessert at a Thanksgiving dinner for my family for, I think, generations at this point. Mm -hmm. Every year during raspberry season, we make a point of freezing enough to make some pies at Thanksgiving. Black raspberry, no jello. I don't like fruit pies with jello. Just a good black raspberry pie with just enough sugar and flour to make it stand up. What is, Brian, your top? I mean, what what was your asterisk there you said on there? Oh, with a bullet, not an asterisk. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I thought you I, I thought the I thought it was an asterisk, which you were going to say, but only because we have forced you to put the raspberries in pie form as that opposed to accurate, eating yeah. them in their <laughs> natural form. Yeah, that is very true. Raspberries just on their own are the best food on earth. Raspberry pie, you can have them mostly unadulterated. Anything else you do with black raspberries is fine, but you should have just not done it because regular black raspberries are best on their own. Strong opinions on food. Uh, my, <laughs> my number one, honestly, is turkey and gravy. I mean, it's yes, yep. it is the standard. Yes, it is the centerpiece of a Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner. But man, I could once once the season of eating turkey starts, I don't have a problem eating hot turkey sandwiches for basically the next week, two weeks, and then taking a couple more weeks off until the next holiday that gives me a turkey comes around. <laughs> hey, it's the standard for a reason. A good turkey is like the gold standard of American holiday meals. It's just delicious. It's delicious 
with a little gravy. It's delicious as a cold turkey sandwich the next day. It's delicious as a hot turkey sandwich where you pour that gravy over bread. It's so good. It is the one exception to soggy bread that I allow. (laughs) Yeah, I can't argue with you. I know I... I prefer ham, but I do love a turkey. And there's just no arguing with it as sort of the prime holiday staple. All right, we should get into this episode, Brian. We we should. We are going to take a break. We are going to watch episode 14, inexplicably named Dedicate the Song of the Powerless Brave to My Father. And we will be right back. Change the apartheid! And we're back. Brian, how did that episode land for you? Ah, it it wasn't as deeply tragic as some of the recent episodes. No, no, it wasn't as deeply tragic. It was, it was weird. Very weird. Yeah. (laughs) Spider-Man only continues to be real weird. Yeah, I think this is one that it's going to be hard to talk about without going scene by scene because it's not like they all fit together real well. In a lot of ways, this one feels to me, and we're going to jump right into it, uh, to be something of a filler episode. And we're sort of in the space for that in in terms of like the structure of a Sentai series. There's often a kind of a lot of action up front, and then you kind of hit that run of, I mean, not filler, but kind of just monster of the week whatever episodes, which we've been in for a little bit. Right. And you get some good ones in there. You get some bland ones in there. Some of them are just sort of there. So this one starts... Like so many great Spider-Man stories do at Interpol. Yeah. Well, technically, like, we're already, we have left Interpol and are going for True. what I declare is the Spider-Man goes and commits crime section of the episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interpol has just contacted Spider-Man. Because remember, in this version of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man is just sort of like an adjunct Interpol agent at this point. Yeah. And asked him to look into the Iron Trade Corporation. Hmm, That doesn't sound suspicious at all. It doesn't sound suspicious at all. And by look into, we don't mean do investigative journalism or stake out. We mean break into the building and rob them. Yes, break in and steal their things. Yeah. So Interpol tells Spider-Man a ship belonging to an evil businessman, which... Little bit redundant, but okay. Yeah. Is coming is coming in and Inter- Interpol has reason to believe that there is illicit cargo on board. Although the only thing they actually say it's is coffee. coffee. <laughs> right. I I don't know. Like Interpol could be full of Mormons. <laughs> Man, I love the idea that in this corner of the Marvel Universe, Interpol was like a uh, an international Mormon police agency. <laughs> that is that's top notch. Yeah. <laughs> so they sneak in. Spider Man sneaks in, and as he's like, he, it starts with very standard Spider Man infiltration techniques, right? Like he's right. climbing buildings and whatnot. Until we find out that he also has like a magic lockpick. Yeah. It rapidly becomes, and I'll quote the narrator here, Spider-Man's magnetic bracelet can unlock any lock. Okay. I We're, we're at episode 14 now. <laughs> why is this a superpower and why? It seems to me to work very much like the Dr. Screwdriver, the Dr. Sonic, right? Ah, uh, like yeah. It just sort of goes, wah, 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 and then things unlock. 
Yes. It's very, like, it's, I mean, it's fine. It's a sort of semi-mystical techie science gadget. Sure. It just, it seems very odd, A, for Spider-Man, and B, to be showing up now, when Spider-Man has in fact been locked in things previous to, previous to this episode. Uh, maybe he didn't know how to use it. But one <laughs> thing that I would have thought that he would know how to use that we also learn about is Spider-Man's extremely keen sense of smell. Yeah, that's another thing they just drop on us. And apparently, <laughs> apparently anyone who works as an Iron Cross henchman smells wrong. Well, there's a weird thing here. So, primarily, the suggestion is that anyone who works for the Iron Cross Army has been machine augmented. They keep referring to them as, like, is it augmented men or changed men or something? Yeah, something something like that. And as far as I can follow the logic of the narrator in this moment, the augmentation process involves being put under... And Spider-Man can sniff out even, like, months or years old lingering scent of anesthetic that is common to the augmented man of the Iron Cross Army. A bafflingly tortured piece of logic. Yeah, because presumably he would also accuse anyone who has ever had, like, their wisdom teeth removed of of (laughs) being part of the Iron Cross Army. (laughs) Anyone who's ever had any sort of uh, inpatient surgery or many minor outpatient surgeries right yeah it it would seem to me that you're going to detect more of those people than than perhaps uh those in the iron cross army but uh, i i can't tell if we're interjecting this because we need to show off spider-man's new keen sense of smell or if actually what we're trying to do is say oh by the way the iron cross has a bunch of enhanced humans running around that we (laughs) are deciding to explain right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very weird. And I think they must have done it because they wanted some not immediately obvious Iron Cross soldiers. But for most of this episode, I find myself thinking, where are the Ninders? Yeah, maybe they just misplaced the Ninder costumes this week. (laughs) Right? Because it's just a bunch of, like, machine-augmented humans. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's just it's just a little weird. Yeah. But anyway, nope. the two enhanced security guards don't see anything, so they wander off right. while Spider-Man crawls over some laser grids. Nobody, including, I think, Spider-Man, is surprised to learn that the Iron Trading Company is, in fact, a front for the Iron Cross Army. I just... I'm surprised they didn't call it the Iron Cross Trading Company or the <laughs> yeah. Iron Cross Company. And there is a minute later in the episode where Professor Monster and the Amazonists are like, oh, my goodness, we never thought they'd find that out. Uh, oh, guys, I just I don't know how they have managed to conquer so many planets up till now. <laughs> it's like vampires spelling their names backwards to trick people. All right, Alucard. <laughs> so. Spider-Man does indeed, like, sneak into, in my notes, I just called it the business room. (laughs) Yeah, it, like, he finds a safe behind a painting behind a wall. We don't, (laughs) we don't explain how Spider-Man detected any of that. 
Nope. Uh, we have an inexplicable camera shot that looks like it's shot out of, like, Spider-Man's point of view, which inexplicably his point of view is depicted as restricted by, like, how his eyes are set up on the mask. Yeah. Which which does not make sense at all because like your eyes your eyes are not that large. The Spider-Man right. eyes are much larger than a person's eyes. Your vision would not be restricted in that way, <laughs> and if it was, you would alter how that mask works. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a badly designed mask and you would make a new mask. Right. But we only Although, do that shot once and I don't know why we do it. That is a weird question about the Takoya version of Spider-Man because most of our other spiders, men and women are capable of augmenting their own suits and equipment, right? It's kind of a staple of Spider-Man lore. Yes. And this is what I initially thought with the dial-in, the watch that can unlock any doors or whatever. Right. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's a new piece of tech that Spider-Man has developed. There is no way our boy Takoya, like, I doubt he could augment his suit, let alone build himself a fancy watch. Yeah, I, that... Yeah. Here. Which leads me to a point, and maybe it'll happen later in the season. Mm-hmm. Why is his sister not his cue? I That's a missed opportunity. Because his sister knows science. It's she it's does. weird. It, because his sister knows science, and his girlfriend is an investigative journalist. Like, <laughs> right. honestly, either one of them would probably make better choices for the all-around Spider-Man. Man, yes. It, or we could just, like, axe Takoya all together and, like, make the love interest between Shinko and Hitomi and have them be, like, a joint spiders, man. I, I just, I'm, and I realize, you know, this is 1970s Japan and that wasn't going True. to happen. I think our larger issue here is outside of having inherited the spider powers, <laughs> Takoya is kind of bad at everything. Yes. <laughs> and not not He's really bad and disinterested. And not in a Clark Kent secretly acting bad at everything. No. Uh or like a Clark Kent only acting bad at everything to be humble. No, Takoya's just bad at stuff. Like his like, oh wait, this this safe is probably connected to an alarm. Uh I better rip this alarm apparently from the ceiling <laughs> i i thought spider-man was going to be real subtle but no he just rips it off the ceiling and then breaks into the safe with his new yeah. safe cracking tool right in view of a fairly obvious recording device yes which although leads... maybe i only feel it's obvious because the camera cut to it about 17 times it, it did uh which does lead to a scene where, you know, it's revealed that, oh, he was caught on camera because all my notes say is uh, Dr. Monster walks over and delivers those pictures, those pictures of Spider-Man that the Amazon is <laughs> Dr. Monster is also better at significant aspects of, or Professor Monster. Yeah. It's also better at significant aspects of Peter Parker's job than Takoya is. Yeah. Yeah, he's got pictures, pictures of Spider-Man, but... (laughs) So he says, effectively, our secret's going to get out, and our boat might not come in, I guess. Our ships may not come in. Right, because what Spider-Man is reported to Interpol is apparently they're bringing in, like, a big laser weapon or something like that. 
Yeah, laser beam weapon. I don't know. They're bringing in a MacGuffin of destruction of some sort. Right. And then, and then, Brian, there's just a big old bat hanging nearby who says, oh, no problem. You, We need to stop Spider-Man, right? We yeah. have to. That's Professor Monster's whole thing. We have to get Spider-Man now or our ship won't come in. Yep. Our literal ship won't come in. And there's just a bat nearby who's like, hey, boss, I know exactly who Spider-Man is. This is fine. Right. And he's not even like, oh, well, how are you going to find out who Spider-Man is? And he's like, no, it's Takoya. Takoya is Spider-Man. Right. It like, is very obvious to me. Here is the name of Spider-Man. Right. And Amazonus and Professor Monster are both like, mm, I don't know. That doesn't seem like Seems likely. unlikely. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's very weird how much they don't want to believe him. Yeah. I mean, look. You've seen Takoya. Would you want to believe he's Spider-Man? Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, actually, <laughs> this whole episode is about nobody <laughs> wants to believe that Takoya is Spider-Man. <laughs> Professor Monster basically says, like, all right, I'll give you a little rope on this. You, you know, you go prove it to me. And the man bat, whose name is, in fact, Big Bat. <laughs> yeah. Which is just, I mean. I just, guys, guys. <laughs> He looks not unlike Bat-Manuel from The Tick. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit of DC's Man-Bat in there. Yep, until he changes into Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Man-Bat, like all good Batman sort of people, has a secret identity. Yeah, which is suave... Uh, Dressed all in white, like, cool guy. Yeah, dude in a white suit with sunglasses and slick hair. Right, and who can <laughs> beat up motorcycle gangs and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so he's what he's going to do is, the remainder of this episode is three plots, each less plausible than the previous, trying to force Takoya to reveal his secret identity. Right, and turn into Spider-Man, apparently, where cameras can see him. Right. So the first one is just, he's going to get some machine BEM guys, some of those human augmented dudes, to dress up as a very sad motorcycle gang and drive in circles around Takoya and his girlfriend, Hitomi. Right. And his uh, little brother. Oh, that's right. Takuji's also here. Yeah. Yeah, because Takoya is out there, you know... Riding on the bike, uh, he his spider sense does go off and alerts him to the fact that he's being watched somehow. Uh, did you notice when he eventually gets there, his brother calls him out for being 20 seconds slower, which, you know, is because he stopped, but also right. points out that that's not good enough for qualifiers. So not even is Takoya not a great brother or boyfriend, which this episode will continue to illustrate. But he's not a great biker either, because it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not like he's in striking distance of victory. It's he's 20 seconds off of being good enough to qualify for races. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's Which, very he, <laughs> he He's not putting food on the table either. I, no, I have the to only assume thing he cares about is yeah. this, this moto, moto motocross. Yeah, I I don't know why it's. Takoya, it's not going anywhere. I mean, you've nailed down you've nailed down the Peter Parker 
uh, through most of his fictional life is is poor. But Peter, at least, you know, got on his hustle and was out there trying to work. Whereas Takoya, Takoya seems allergic to having a job. Yeah, it's very weird. And I, I mean, I guess technically motocross is his job if he wins races and earns money at it. <laughs> I I have not seen evidence that that is happening. No, no, that's the problem. <laughs> so they just ride around him for a little bit. They're like, ha come on, fight us, fight us, guy. I mean, they did ask him to race them, which it feels like he could have obliged them. Could have just gone for that. But he somehow is just sort of like supernally aware of the fact that they are trying to trick him. I guess he pulled off a glove at some point, saw a hand. Yes. He knows they're trying to trick him into revealing his secret identity. He doesn't. And so the man bat in his Saturday Night Fever attire just shows up and beats up the bicycle guy i guess to earn hitomi's goodwill maybe because he definitely makes dreamy eyes at hitomi yeah i am unclear as to how this is part of the plan i am as well because all it would make me think is that you're planting doubts in hitomi's mind and thinking maybe this suave gentleman is spider-man yeah it's very obviously that plan did not work no so they move on to a new plan which is give Spider-Man's family tickets to a sad amusement park. (laughs) I actually thought this was just going to turn into a full-on amusement park episode. It felt like it for a minute, but it just turned into one roller coaster ride episode. Right. Uh, Where where the family goes to the amusement park, and Takoya doesn't even go on rides. I I don't know what his deal is. He doesn't want to... You know, he's grumpy. He's just grumpy. He doesn't want to hang out with his sister and brother, and he doesn't want to hang out with his, as we say every episode, way too good for him girlfriend. Yeah, man. Gosh, she Toby can do is so much better. I it's frustrating how little he cares for that very cool woman. Oh, Breaking my also heart. how little he cares for the love of his family who recently lost their father figure. It just. Like, for whom he is now the eldest male member of the family. I it's it's a good thing his sister has a good head on her shoulders because she is yeah. literally the only thing holding that family together. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Spider Man's life is being held together on all sides by women much stronger and more capable than him. Oh, <laughs> So they get on the roller coaster, everyone except Takoya, yep. who's being a grumpy pants. Yep. And the roller coaster has no brakes. Right. Which I guess would be an issue if, like, a roller coaster wasn't on an endless track and right. could go, like, extra fast, more fast than it should, and right. could it's jump the rails. Right. up speed or anything. At no. At what point it... does it seem, I mean, I guess maybe eventually it might get scary because you can't get off. Right. Yeah. But there's plenty of time to solve that. The roller coaster just, they just got a free second ride on the roller coaster. I would, I would think a roller coaster getting stuck along the tracks would be more upsetting than the roller coaster continuing to go a second time. Right. Yeah. The, oh, no, it's left off its tracks. Or, oh, no, as you say, it's picking up speed right. or it's out of control. No, this roller coaster was just casually coasting through a second lap. It also doesn't hap- uh, help that 
a couple of the shots make it look like they're afraid, but a couple of the shots make it look like they're having an awesome roller coaster time. So, yeah, it's very weird. And Takoya is unable to stop the roller coaster because, again, some Iron Cross army men are in his way and he doesn't want to become Spider-Man. So Cool Guy Man-Bat stops it again. And again, again, Takuji's just here like, bro, you suck. This dude's way better. And he makes some kind of winky eyes at Hitomi. Yeah. I I think uh, the fact that this is the second time, like, his family continues to register their disappointment in him. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And then and then they're like, oh, well, we're going to try to, like, recover some fun out of this day by going shopping together. And Sequoia's just like, nah, 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 nah I don't want to do that either. He I has think... also repeatedly turned down offers to go on a date with Hitomi. Several times she has I asked just... him for a date. <sighs> she really needs to cut bait on this guy. She does. And, and I know, like... There's that old, like, 90s sitcom joke of, like, oh, clothes shopping with women, am I right? Ha ha. But, like, it, it maybe, maybe standalone you could have chalked it up to that trope. But this is now a string of, like, half a dozen times where Takoya has actively not wanted to spend time with Hitomi. I think part of it is only about a quarter of the time do they even give us, the viewer, like, but this is because he's on the lookout for the Iron Cross army. It, yeah, the other no, three quarters of, of the time. Sleeping. Yeah, the other three quarters of the time, it's like, nah, he just doesn't want to do it. He actively says a couple of times, like, no, I want to go work on my motorcycle. Oh, jeez. Dude, just... and, and hey, here's just a tip. Don't sleep on clothes shopping with your girlfriend. Like, I know, again, it's a 90s punchline. But who doesn't want to go watch their attractive girlfriend trying on a bunch of cool clothes? That's ridiculous. Takoya, Takoya, what are you doing? I mean, look, the theme song tells us that the Spider-Man's life is a life of sadness and misery. So that is, that you know, is very maybe, true. Maybe Takoya was a really good boyfriend before he got the spider powers. <laughs> that could we be. don't, we don't that know. So we are now at this point. Man Bat has given up all pretense. Professor Monster is annoyed and he says, you get one more try. And Man Bat's like, fine, I will just kidnap his family and send him a ransom note. It feels like this probably should have been plan one. Yes. Mostly because, again, I'm not clear what showing up as Saturday Night Fever cool guy was ever adding to the plan. Other than paid off to anything, did did it? I don't know. Maybe Man Bat was just thinking, like, in addition to killing Spider-Man, I will steal his girlfriend. Hey, as we've said, she could do better. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that Man Bat seems that impressive, but he might be a step up in the boyfriend front anyway. I mean, at least he's trying. <laughs> so Hitomi actually finds the ransom note. She tells Takoya, and then as he has done probably a dozen times in this series, he gets on his motorcycle and drives away from his girlfriend, leaving her to figure out how to get somewhere else by herself. <laughs> it's like his number one move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he could have at least said, I'm going to save them. That at least would have, because he doesn't even explain what he's going to do. <laughs> Yeah, no, he just hops on his bike and drives away. He doesn't, to be fair, I guess, he doesn't know what he's going to do. No, that's true, because his 
his problem is he needs to change into Spider-Man, but he can't because there are cameras everywhere that will detect him changing into Spider-Man. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So I have another question here. Are all of his fighting powers actually tied up in, like... Is this like a Sailor Moon transformation process where you don't actually have the powers until you, like, transform? I'm actually not even sure. Is that a proper reference? Does that... I mean, a lot of his powers are just punching and kicking. It seems like those should carry over. Yeah, but it seems like he's not good at those if he's not in the spider suit. That That is true. But he can't transform, as you say, so he just decides, like, oh, well, nothing for it. I'm just going to have to show up as Takoya and see what happens. Right. What happens is Takoya gets his rear end handed to him pretty handily uh, as he's just kind of ducking, dodging, and weaving until he spots the sea. He's like, hey, I have a plan. And he basically dives into the ocean. Yeah, I think he tries to make it look as if he was either fleeing or had been pushed in. Yeah. But it is very much like his cunning plan is just to fake his own drowning. Right. And then change into Spider-Man, who suddenly shows up right after it looks like Takoya has drowned. And boy, boy, I'm real... maddening that everybody is fooled by this. I just... Guys... Guys, seriously. He jumps off. Maybe three minutes later, the car comes driving up. Right. And all of the bad guys are like, whoa, there's Spider-Man. I guess it must not have been that guy who mysteriously uh, jumped in the water three minutes ago. Yeah. I just, guys. It's very weird. Guys, come on. It's very weird how they all take that as proof that he is not Spider-Man. This is is the least convincing dodge. (laughs) But this is works. this is the fake mustache of dodges. <laughs> yep. But they're all there. Amazonus is there, man bat. They're like, oh, huh. I guess it wasn't Takoya after all. Right. He manages to free his sister and brother who he does, yep. uh were tied up and hanging off of ledges. Yep. And then he starts fighting the Iron Cross army. It's the fight with the man bat on the ground is real weird. It is very weird. Because parts of it aren't even fights. Parts of it are just Spider-Man attached to the wall as they have man bat jump back and forth across the screen. Yes. Not, yeah. not in an attack pattern, just kind of jumping back and forth and back and forth. It's like a low-rent children's theater attempt to be like, he's flying. Uh, yeah. Maybe but that's he's just what like it was. leaping from one screen out of like just in and out of frame. Look, uh, all I'm <laughs> saying is Samurai Cop had better fight choreography than than this week's fight. Yeah, there's a few minutes where they try to fire their secret special laser at him, which they demonstrated for us, the viewer, by shooting a station wagon with it. Yes, a stationary station wagon that was vaporized. That was like, it must have been vaporized. It looked to me like a disappearing ray. Yeah, okay. They didn't have an explosion, and they didn't have, like, dust. What they did was they shot it with a beam and then showed us another frame where there isn't a car in the frame. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't even make a sound when it went away. It was... No. 
look, what I'm saying is, despite having other episodes where things are much more imaginative, this week, this week, kind of everything is a bit on the lazy front. <laughs> it is. I did enjoy that when he first showed up, instead of yelling emissary from hell, Spider-Man yelled, a man of revenge. Yes. It's Spider-Man. Yes. I, one other thing I, I swear I've noticed is when they play the Spider-Man theme song during some of the fights, like mm-hmm. the lyrics from the subs change. But I am almost certain that the lyrics being sung in Japanese have never changed for that song. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what the subs are playing at, but that is just something I noticed. I'm like, oh, nice. oh, we've just invented another Spider-Man verse that is not what is being sung currently. That's effectively it. He has the kind of comical weird fight with Man Bat. Yep. But then, as always happens, Man Bat grows big. Yep. And Leopardon shows up, and that's it. Yep. Arc turns, sword vigor, kaboom. And there's a minute after man bat explodes where Takoya is like drudged back up out of the sea right the fact that he's not dead really should clue everyone in to yeah, it's but, been a solid what probably half an hour of real time it's yeah it i mean at the very least five to ten minutes where he would have been under the water so yeah. un- unless someone has proven that Takoya is like a world-class breath holder, which I don't believe anyone believes, I, it, it seems to me that people should assume that either he should be dead or no, he's probably Spider-Man and faked the whole thing. Not only has he been under the water for that long, you know, ostensibly. Right. When he comes up, he is coated in thick mud. Yeah, I'm not. I'm like, not... is the implication that he was somehow rolling around on the floor of this river? I I don't know. How did he get that muddy? I, I don't know. The, you know, part of me wonders if there is an abandoned plot where uh, Hitomi suspects more that maybe Takoya is Spider-Man. Because she definitely like posits that thought a couple times yeah but mostly as not as i wonder if he's spider-man but more like he really can't be spider-man right like yeah it's she's all- trying to talk herself out of believing it right and that's it that's the capper for our episode just a mud covered takoya yeah it with his family saying like well i guess he does sort of suck but at least he's still alive right like, I, I mean, his family, I guess they appreciate the rescue attempt, but, right. like, boy. The announcer even shows up and he was like, poor Takoya just has to pretend to suck so nobody knows he's Spider-Man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, this, a weird episode, right? This, this episode is a weird one all around. Like, I feel on the one hand, it seems like it's trying to established part of a larger canon that Iron Cross has kind of infiltrated things across the globe. I do like that. Yeah, Interpol even had like a throwaway line about it at some point that like they've got these sort of like dark alliances around the world. Right. It feels like we've established some key metaplot stuff, but this episode this week is just it's just weird all over the place. <laughs> 
especially because Man Bat absolutely knew who Spider Man was when he yeah. showed up. Like three before... minutes into the episode, a very intelligent bad guy said, "Hey, everybody, I know who Spider Man is." Right. I feel like if Professor Monster had, in fact, interrogated that line of logic rather than, yeah. "Well, why don't you go out and prove it?" Like that, it would have gone better for old Professor Monster. Yep. <laughs> All right. I guess we have done it, Ryan. Yes. We got through another episode. We we have episode 14 <laughs> of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me. Before we officially finish up, as Matt J always does, I would like to remind you that you can contact the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get future updates, uh, what's going on with the show, or you want to check out any of the things Matt and Dave usually talk about, you can follow Matt at Super Sentai Bros. You can follow me at RO Radio. You can follow Brian at Mount Olympus Pod, which is the podcast that he and I do on a regular basis. If you like this episode, you can go check us out there. There's at this point like four years of us talking about Hercules and Xena over there. So much talk about Hercules. (laughs) So much. If you do enjoy this show, as always, remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate and review the program on iTunes. It helps new people find the show. The Super Sentai Buddies is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Mark. I'm Brian. And we will see you next time for the greatest show on Earth. Spider-Man. Spider-Man.